Hi, this is Benjamin from the UK true crime podcast, They Walk Among Us. Brought to you by AMC Networks, Shudder is a premium streaming experience that provides a multi-sensory dive into fantastical worlds, offering the very best of old and new horror. Discover films and series that covers the entire horror spectrum, including highly anticipated new releases like The Boy Behind the Door and Psycho Gorman, to giants of the horror genre like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. What's more, you can watch one of my all-time favourite films, Mandy, a spiralling, surreal, bloody journey of revenge with visuals that are simply mind-blowing. Exceptional originals, movies, TV series and live events, there's always something new and unexpected for Shudder members to experience. Sign up at Shudder.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writers Share Podcast with your host, dark urban fantasy author, Holly Lyne. Hello and welcome to episode number 64 of the Great Writers Share podcast, a podcast where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, roar and bounce. My name's Holly Line and it's the 29th of November as of recording. So let's get into my personal update. What a month it has been! Quite in contrast to my last update on this podcast, there have been a lot of words this month. I've been participating in my fourth NaNoWriMo, and to give me a little extra booster, I signed up to Dan's bootcamp, and I am so glad that I did. This has quite simply been the best nano ever. I've made some really amazing friends in the bootcamp. We've literally spent hundreds of hours together this month on Zoom doing writing sprints and chatting. I haven't quite hit 50k yet but I'm only 1400 words away and Zoom is happening (laughs) right after I finished in this podcast so I'm gonna win today. I'm also recording this the morning after Indie Fire, the online writers' conference that I organised with my partner in crime, Angeline Trevina. The whole day went really well and we've had fantastic feedback. It still feels a bit surreal that we did this and that it went so well. And I don't think I've been this tired or this emotional all year and that is saying something. Today I'm talking to Alicia Escobar. We covered her experiences of co-writing, the ways in which she cultivates a strong engagement with her readers, and the importance of writing diverse characters. But before we get into the show, I wanted to remind you of our Patreon community over at patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get involved in our behind-the-scenes group, benefiting from early ad-free access to episodes of the show, our private Slack channel, you can ask upcoming guests any questions, and get involved in our monthly giveaway. So if you like the idea of upping your author career and getting all of that good stuff, then one more time, that's patreon.com forward slash share. 
And now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only Alicia Escobar. Alicia Escobar writes fantasy to support her chocolate habit. She enjoys reading everything from Tolkien and the Dresden Files to the Hellblazer comics and classic literature. She's the author of the international best-selling Grey Tower trilogy, an action-packed supernatural thriller set in an alternate World War II. The trilogy hit the bestseller lists on Amazon, it reached top 60 in the entire Kindle store, as well as iBooks, Kobo, Barnes & Noble Online and Amazon UK. Alicia is also the co-author of the best-selling Aria Knight Chronicles and Immortal Brotherhood series. Besides being a loving warrior mom to her six children, she enjoys crafts, consuming more coffee than is necessary, and spending time with her husband, Luis, a 20-year art veteran for The Simpsons television show. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. So would you like to start off by telling our listeners a bit about your writing journey? Well, I've always enjoyed writing. I started off just writing short stories when I was a kid in school, like around seven years old. And friends and family would read them and encourage me, and I kept going with it. So about time, I really took it seriously and um, decided to self-publish. I, it was um, maybe back in 2011 when I started, and it was kind of like um, a push for my husband because, you know, he knew how much I loved writing and telling stories. And he's like, um, I'll give you a challenge. I'll come up with a scenario and I want you to write a story about it. And that's kind of how the Great Tower trilogy stories were born. And after that, I just kept going with it, kept getting great feedback, meeting other authors who were, you know, friends and mentors who kept encouraging me. And really, I'm where I'm at now where I um just you know produce stories and hopefully my readers and subscribers will keep enjoying them and you know i've um built it up over you know quite a few years so it wasn't like this overnight thing so i i take it as a journey that i'm still continuing to this day yeah absolutely so we first really met so to speak when you compiled the daughters of destiny box set and we've done another set of anthology since, and you co-write. So there's a lot of collaboration in your portfolio. Was that something that you kind of always planned for, or did it just crop up unexpectedly? I'd say it definitely cropped up unexpectedly because, you know, being writers, it's a, a craft that we kind of put our hearts and souls into, our creativity. So it's often an individual thing. And when you reach out and work with another author, you have to kind of find a way to blend the, t the two minds and the two worlds together. And it's uh, been a great learning experience because I've learned from my co-authors, you know, just different writing style, um, my own strengths and weaknesses. Like I love writing um, action-packed scenes and getting into plot and, you know, coming up with great, you know, twist sizes. And I have co-authors who are amazing at dialogue and character interaction. And it helps me to pay more attention to, you know, kind of like those underlying parts that bring together. And, um, you know, you have to have the great pacing because, you know, your readers don't want to be nonstop action all the time. 
but they don't want to be lulled to sleep by, you know, <laughs> you know, talking heads. So you have to create that perfect balance. And I think I've learned a lot and hopefully my co-authors have learned from me as well. Mm. Have you ever had a collaboration that where it didn't mesh and didn't quite work? So far, I'm lucky that that hasn't happened yet. Um, I, I would say that um, the the one thing that that kind of like irked me is like just you know um, learning how to kind of let go of some of my little pet projects, you know, things that I think, oh, this would be great to have in here, or I want to go in this direction. And you have to stop and listen to others and um, learn from them. And, you know, that's something I'm kind of working on, because like I said before, when most of the time when you're writing, you're doing it yourself, and you're kind of like the god of your own little worlds, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just kind of like learning, maybe this person has a point, or maybe um, <laughs> I should stop and listen and learn. So I'm, you know, doing that. And I think I'm all the better for it. Mm-hmm. How does co-writing compare to writing on your own? It's uh, definitely a team effort. It takes a lot of planning. Um, the way that I've done it so far uh, would uh, write a chapter and my co-author would go over my chapter and they would give feedback, maybe even tweak some of the dialogue and wording. And then they would write their chapter and then I would go over theirs and do the same. Mm-hmm. So that way, about time we're finished, there's kind of a cohesive voice. So at least the reader gets the feeling that one person wrote it, even mm-hmm. though they know there are two authors. And I think that's important to do because you don't want to have it jumbled. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're writing for yourself, you're, you're just going, you're in your own little world. And, you know, you don't get the feedback until you hand it over to the editor mm-hmm. or, you know, like a alpha reader or beta reader. So um, it's, it's also a great help when you're co-writing because you have that immediate feedback from someone mm. who understands what you're doing, you know, who's coming from the author perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of instant feedback. Do, do you think that speeds up the process? It does because... Um, with the way I do it, you feel like I'm pretty much writing half a book. (laughs) And so I think it is faster because, you know, you go back and forth, handing it off to each other. And when you're done, you have a finished product and then you kind of, you know, go over it one last time. And then, you know, I give it to my editor and that works, um, differently than when I'm on my own and, I'm not beholden to anyone. And so if I can't get around to writing that day, I don't feel the pressure. Like, oh, no, if I don't send it off to my co-author, it's going to be a mess. You know, when I'm on my own, I'm just like, yeah, I'll handle it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have a little bit more flexibility when you're doing it on your own. Mm. Which do you prefer? I would say I prefer writing on my own. And, um, and it's not like a knock against any of my co-authors. It's just that, um, you know, I started off writing, you know, solitary, so I'm used to it and, you know, I can, um, you know, just go and do what I need to do to finish the project and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, you know, with the co-writing, you know, you, you also have to consider things like legal contracts, you know, owning the characters, owning the world. Um, if they decide to write a short story based on that co-project, 
would they get you know the full um, royalties from that or would you get because it's a world you both create together so there's a lot more um, consideration that goes that you know when you're co-writing so I would say like it's you know definitely in a sense simpler when it's just you because you don't have to make a contract for yourself and you know whatever you earn it goes to you especially as you know indie authors so, um, but from the co-written projects that I have done, the R Night Chronicles, as well as the Immortal Brotherhood, they both have been a wonderful experiences and also great projects that, you know, I'm proud to have worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm curious to try co-writing, but also nervous about it. And I think, I think I would really benefit from that, um, <clears throat> that accountability and, you know, having a deadline that you know I need to get something done by a certain time for someone else to pick up their side of it and I can imagine that's quite um quite a positive thing and quite you know a good aspect of co-writing it definitely is yes and I recommend definitely do it with someone with an author whose uh, writing style you admire that you're familiar with and someone that you've known for a while uh, because uh Samantha LaFancy and H.M. Jones I've known them uh, since oh, for years, so <laughs> they they're they're like friends to me. So um, I definitely feel comfortable with them. They're familiar with my writing style, and they enjoy the way I write. Um, we we read each other's books, and so we know how each other operates. I think that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so you have quite a few series on the go at once. How do you kind of? juggle everything do you write more than one book at once or do you focus on one thing at a time how does that work I learned a long time ago that working on you know several projects or two projects at once is like crazy <laughs> uh, some people can do it you know especially you know the authors that produce like monthly uh, it's insane but for me I um, like to go one at a time and sometimes I'll pause a series and jump into a different one. For example, um, I'm looking forward to writing another book from my Diviner series. Uh, And I'm just finished um, composing what I need for my outline for the Wayward Wizard. So uh, I do jump around in that sense, um, but I'll never work on two at the same time, but I will pause working on a series to, you know, pay attention to another one. And, as, and especially depending on how sales are, which ones I see are more popular, I'll probably, you know, work on that more to boost it. While those who aren't um, doing so well, I'll kind of, you know, put on hold or, you know, work on later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then add into the mix, you have six children and, you know, <laughs> and a relationship to maintain. I mean, how do you keep all of those plates going? Oh, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a tough job. But um, I think it helps when and the, the older kids, uh, they're more independent. Uh, my oldest are like, you know, you know, 14, 12, you know, 10. So, you know, they're kind of, you know. They're fine. You know what I mean? And then the youngest, especially my baby, the four-year-old, she's the one who needs the most attention. She'll randomly come to me while I'm doing chores and cleaning the house. Like, I want to cuddle, you know, things like that. So uh, they're very sweet and they're a good bunch. And um, 
I think what helps is that I have them on the schedule and, um, you know, I, um, you know how some parents, they're, they're more free. They're like, oh, um, I'm up at 10 p.m. with my kid. And I'm like, nope, it's uh, 8 p.m. bedtime, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be strict with them because otherwise I won't have time to write, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely believe in carving out that time to be able to write or work. Like right now, I'm speaking with you and I let them know, okay, mommy's, you know, in an interview, in an interview or meeting. And they know, okay, it's, it's time to, uh, you know, give mom her space. So they all kind of understand that. And, you know, we work together kind of as a team when each of us needs to do something. Mm-hmm. So um, you have quite an engaged readership. And I know, for instance, you let them decide who you should dress up as at Halloween. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing oh, your Gamora so costume. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be so fun. The year before, I was Storm from X-Men. And the year before that, I was uh, Wonder Woman. And, you know, I had my whole um, survey going. And uh, I think a few of them suggested that um, I dressed up as one of the warrior women from uh, (laughs) Black Panther. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to shave my head. (laughs) But... (laughs) You know, I, I can I can you know put on paint, face paint and you know do all of that and put on a wig, but um, I don't think I'm going to shave my entire head for uh, Halloween costume. But thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> you could get a bald cap and put all the hair underneath it. That could work. <laughs> I could. That could work. Okay, giving you an idea. Yeah, but um, they love it. <laughs> yeah. so, I, I think that's a fun way to you know get readers involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other tips to um, for other authors on how to cultivate that kind of relationship with their readers? Yes. Um, well, you definitely have to let them know that you have a newsletter that it exists, and you know I place those both in the front and back of my books, and I invite them to join. And what I do with my newsletters is like I'll uh, share with them. You know, here are some great book recommendations or, you know, some sales you might be interested in. Authors like yourself who um, I've worked with, and I'm like, I know this is a great author. You want to look at her books. I'll share those. But I also have um, a section in my newsletter where I connect with my readers. I'll tell them, here's an update with what's going on, you know, in uh, my life. For example, I, I took some time off because I had a surgery this summer. And I have things where... I check in on my readers. I'm like, talk to me. How are you doing? Especially during the whole pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. And they respond. And um, since, you know, they love fantasy, they love sci-fi, they love reading. I talk to them also about books, something interesting I might be reading. I also polled them before and asked, what do you like to read? And I found that um, a lot of my readers enjoy a mix of sci-fi and fantasy, and they also enjoy mystery. And so that allowed me to recommend more um, supernatural thrillers and mystery-based fantasy books to them and urban fantasy. And um, they say they read like over 10 books and I'm like, you guys are insane. You must have all the time in the world, but (laughs) I love them for it because that means that, you know, they'll keep gobbling up those books. Mm -hmm. And I think by connecting with them and not just having my newsletter pure, um, just sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch all the time, you know, cause that gets tiring, right? Yeah. We all get, you know, the emails and, you know, we kind of just scroll past or ignore them, 
But when they know that, oh, I'm, I'm going to learn something new, I'm going to check in to see how my favorite author is doing, or, oh, there's a giveaway or a contest, or, you know, things like that, or mm-hmm. I'm going to vote on what she's going to dress like for Halloween, and that's going to, you know, engage them more. So I think that's, you know, a great way to do it. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to kind of tread the line between being open and personal, but also maintaining boundaries. And do you have any sort of set rules around what you do and don't include in your newsletters? Um, that's actually a really great question. Um, I will, I, I would say my boundaries would be like, I never talk about like, say for example, you know, my marriage because, you know, who wants to know about that? Um, except for the fact like, maybe that I'm married to someone who works on a famous show, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, I don't use it as a personal therapy session, <laughs> but I'll, I'll talk about things like, um, you know, maybe enjoy like, Oh, you know, as a mom, here's what's, you know, going on. Like I, um, I asked my readers one time, for example, um, what should I, um, you know, fix for lunch, different lunch ideas, because now that, you know, the kids are home, and the schools aren't yet quite open where I live. Um, I'm the lunch lady now. So I'm like, what are some great quick snack ideas and lunch ideas? Um, and, you know, I have plenty of suggestions from great readers from, you know, other fellow parents to grandmothers who were emailing me, giving me recipes and ideas. So um, that was great. But in terms of um, me sharing, oh, here's this personal problem, you know, um, I don't go that far because, you know, I agree there should be boundaries and there are things that, you know, I do like to keep private. Like, I think my husband, like, he doesn't speak at all, really. Like, I mean, I was pulling teeth just getting him to do that interview for my last newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how does being a person of color influence what you write and what you like diversity in your books and things like that? I think um, it's a important topic because there are a lot of readers who do care about it and do look for it. And I also am of the opinion that it, it does affect you and make a difference to see a character in the story that, you know, shares your background or who, who looks like you because you do imagine placing yourself in, the, in that person's shoes. And it's a, it's a little bit of a two sides of the same coin because also I like to write my stories where even if you may not um, look like a certain character or have the same background, you can relate to them on a certain level as a, a fellow human being who may, maybe goes through pain or experience trail. And in my Great Child trilogy, it's all about an alternate World War II where, you know, the Nazis are using wizards and vampires um, to help them win the war. And one of my, a couple of my characters in the story are um, African-Americans. One is based on um, Josephine Baker, uh, who, you know, helped spy on behalf of the Allies. And she was in Nazi-occupied France. And her her um, story was just like so inspirational and amazing. So I incorporated a character who was kind of inspired by her life and her actions. And 
I think that's important because I'm, I'm a little bit of a history buff and I love reading about history. So just kind of like bringing out those important aspects as well as just um, the, the women who participated as well. There are a lot of women who helped win the war against the Nazis and some of their stories are forgotten or will never be told. And I thought, well, by bringing kind of um, my main character Isabella's story to the forefront, it'll help kind of shed a light on just these amazing brave acts that all these women did. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I think, you know, having that diversity is great because it gives you a wider, more beautiful picture of just how much um, people have contributed, you know, to society and the world. Yeah. So did you do a lot of research then for, for that around World War Two and everything? Oh, I did. I did uh, a lot of research, documentaries. Um, I learned about the women of the Special Operations Executive. And um, there's actually a movie based on one of the women. It's called Carve Her Name with Pride. I believe it's called Carve Her Name with Pride. Mm. And it's about one of the women who, you know, she had a young daughter and she lost her husband in the war. In the war and she wanted to still make a difference. And she went into Nazi-occupied France. She spied, um, you know, for the British and she helped save countless lives. She was the resistance. And sadly, in the end, she was one of the women who were lined up and executed. But she was a hero. And and I, I believe like, by calling the movie Carpenting with Pride, it, you know, gives you that idea that, you know, she will never be forgotten and she contributed um, to making the world a better place yeah yeah well see I didn't know anything about that so yeah well, there's um there's a lot of um bias in history isn't there that we have to kind of unpick right there's so much to learn um, so many great stories and sadly um depending on where you live and how your school system is run they want to kind of like cram everything in like okay we only have this uh, amount of a lot of time and so we're going to focus on this and hopefully um by being authors and opening up you know our source to other people they'll get interested in these different topics and want to learn for themselves so mm-hmm. i think that's ultimately um goal of education is to kind of give you the tools you need to be your own learner and to be able to learn new things. Um, I have a background in teaching, so this is definitely something, you know, near and dear to my heart, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't realise you were a teacher before, so did you give up teaching to write full-time? I gave up teaching uh, to be a mom full-time, right. and, and um, I started writing toward the end of my um, teaching career, and I figured if I'm going to be home, you know, I might as well, you know, pursue this because, you know, I can be a work at home mom and, and um, you know, I don't have to stop being creative and, you know, passionate about my pursuits. You know, I can do both. So um, that's what I kind of did. And my husband was very encouraging. And I think um, I'll keep on doing it. It's been a few years now and I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, I have a couple of questions from our patrons. Uh, Laura Kay would like to know what one book or movie really gave you that divine inspiration feeling? Oh, wow. That would have to be 
The Divine Comedy by Dante. It was like, it was just like the most amazing read I did back in college. And it was just so inspirational and beautiful. And um, the idea of, you know, traversing literally heaven and hell to reach, you know, the person that, you know, you love the most and, you know, through loving someone else, being able to see, you know, the image of God. I thought that his message was, you know, a really inspiring one because, um, you know, there's just so much in our world that, you know, negative that brings a lot of people down. And I'm, I'm like kind of an optimist and I, and I like to try to, you know, bring happiness and positivity to others. So I love the idea of being able to, you know, um, reach out to others and through them, you know, uh, achieve great things that will be lasting. So I definitely enjoyed the divine comedy, uh, just, and it's just rich, full of history, full of references. It makes you want to go research and, um, you know, learn about other things. So I definitely love that book. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Uh, Laura would also know, uh, what is your favorite chocolate bar that you are, um, <laughs> You know, being an author to support the habit of consuming. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite chocolate bar. <laughs> it would have to be Hershey's with almonds. That is my favorite. Even um, though I haven't had it in a long time since I'm um, doing the keto diet. So um, uh, no chocolate candies for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Faye would like to know, what is it about fantasy that captured your interest? Fantasy interests me because I enjoy the what if question, like what if our world was like this? What if magic really existed? And what does it mean when um, we, uh, it's it's almost like a metaphor for the use of power in our world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If if you were gifted with some sort of magic or um, superhuman ability, how would you use it and why? And so just going through those questions um, makes it a fun story and interesting to me. Uh, For example, um, what I like to do with my villains in the fantasy stories, I don't like to make them the cardboard, you know, typical, you know, villains who are just bad for being bad sake. Um, They have a reason. They um, have motivation. Sometimes the villain think that they're the hero and that they're actually doing something um, like in um, my current um, co-write book that's coming out in December, The Immortal Brotherhood, there's a, a group of um, cultists who call themselves the servants of death, and they want to bring death to uh, kind of like the supernatural, the fairy world, because they believe it's a threat to the human world. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to take everything over and make sure everyone is safe. And, you know, that's scary because it has implications, right? Because we're like, mm. we're going to make you safe. Just trust, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and it turns out that they're the villains and they're making a mess of it all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Faye had another question, um, which was, do you have any tips for writing characters of colour? Okay, um, my view is that... When you're writing characters of color, um, write them like, like normal people. 
because you know we are like um <laughs> there are things that <laughs> you know um there are some things unless i'm doing something that um, is very uh, culturally specific or regional for example in my books the characters her parents and grandparents are uh, southern you know from the southern um, part of the united states so they might have a little bit of a uh, an accent where talking because in in my life I do have something grandparents and so I was kind of inspired by that so there's you know certain mannerisms or ways of speaking so I think mm-hmm. it's okay to include those things because that's part of the culture yeah but you know obviously you don't want to do stereotypes mm-hmm. and so I would say you know just just write them as you know normal people who have lives you know who have families jobs whatever and, um, you know, just, uh, pre- you know, present them as normal. And I know um, there's a debate about it, for example, like, what if, you know, you have a character of color who might be on, you know, team bad guy or villain. Mm-hmm. And I know some people shy away from writing that because they feel it would be offensive to write them in, in that light. And I think, well, that's it's not quite fair because there are good and bad people of all backgrounds no matter what institution you belong to what country whatever there are good and bad people and that's the truth of the world Hmm. and you you present them you know in your stories to kind of a a certain lesson for example um this person uh is doing this thing because um, I think the thing is that you, you give a, another level to it, you give it depth. For example, might be doing something bad, but maybe they have a certain motivation or maybe um, have a character arc where they realize, wait a minute, I've been wrong. And, you know, they develop into someone different. So I think the thing is to just give them depth and um, pre- present them like as just people among other people. Yeah. Because it's a double-edged sword when you try to, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want coddled and you know ha- see a character who looks like me who's like, oh, she's so perfect and so I want someone who is a real character and maybe they have flaws, you know, yeah. and and that's how we like to see our heroes as well. Mm-hmm. We want our heroes to not be perfect. They might have flaws. They stumble and fall and they learn. And I think that um, as long as you're not being like um, belligerent or, uh, you know, overly stereotypical, it should yeah. be okay to write those characters, especially if you've done research on it and you know what you're doing. Yeah. Because there are certain things that I write about, I have no clue, but I researched my butt off. And so at least I can write with enough confidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... It's a really interesting time and, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future because people are being more sensitive. Um, but it's also, it's it's difficult to know, you know, pe- people take offence so easily now, whereas I think perhaps they didn't used to. And it's, it's very difficult to tread the line, you know, of, I like I want to write more diverse characters I'm really aware now that my books don't have that much diversity in but at the same time I don't want to I don't want to get anything wrong and I think a lot of us are trying right. we're trying 
to to do better but it's it's a difficult time <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's just really really odd because for example with um my my wayward wizard books you know the main character is like a white guy you know I had no idea what it was like to be a white guy, but <laughs> that was the main character I chose for the story and I did it and yeah. I did well enough. It's hard enough just writing a man, you know, as a woman, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause you know, the, <laughs> my, I, I would give my husband to look over it and he's like, that's not how a guy would act. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I definitely, um, I think, you know, maybe if you have a friend who you might want to say, hey, could you look over this and think, you know, that's a good thing to do, mm. um, you know, do your research and then just, you know, be true to characters because at the end of the day, um, I like to see, you know, whether it's a movie or a book, I like to see characters who are interesting, who are multi-dimensional and they're not, um, you know, cardboard characters and who, um, give me a great story and you know I've, I've read books where there were no um characters of color or maybe there, the main character was a character of color so um it's just it just all depends and I think you know we need to just you know keep our minds open and you know read as much as possible you know reading is such an important thing just to open up your mind open up your imagination and to learn new things mm. Um, actually question that's just occurred to me do you think it's an issue when authors go to get covers um I know one of my friends has a series where the main characters are people of color and she gets really hard to find stock photos for those covers do you think that's an issue for authors and what can we do about it yeah I have seen it as an issue, um, whether it's like for, you know, romance or, you know, fantasy genre, where they're looking for those stock images. And one um, company in, I, I think you, you know it as well, but Neostock, like, I, I love what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to see more of it, too, because, um, for example, with my Diviner series, you know, I'm looking for, you know, more um, characters that I can put on the cover for that. So I think it's an... Uh, if anyone has, you know, that idea of, hey, let's, in, you know, let's incorporate this or even I'm going to launch somewhere. It's, you know, mostly characters of color that we can use to put on book covers. That's a great idea. So mm-hmm. something that, you know, is waiting to be fulfilled. And um, but I definitely have, you know, talked with authors who are searching for those kinds of photos for their books and been kind of a hard search. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely support seeing more of that. You know, because, you know, our covers are an important part of our books and our marketing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there is the option to get something original rendered, you know, um, or illustrated, but that's so far out of many authors' price range. So it's a really difficult situation. Yeah, it is. So hopefully, uh, um, um, as the need arises, I would imagine that someone will step in to fulfill that because there's definitely a market for that Mm. okay and um, we ask all of our guests on great writers share why do you write I write because I need an outlet for all the craziness that happens in my mind all of my imagination I need to put it somewhere so I figure (laughs) 
I need to do it in writing. <laughs> and uh, it's <laughs> and it's definitely a passion and a hobby of mine um, that I've been lucky enough to turn into uh, business. And um, it's something that fulfills me and that I enjoy doing. So I think whatever your passion is, you know, definitely find a, a smart way to, you know, maybe pursue it as a career as well as a passion. Mm-hmm. Everyone is lucky enough for their career to also be their passion. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have come to the rapid fire round. So I have 10 questions for you. Answer as quickly as you can. Don't overthink. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Favorite female superhero? Wonder Woman. Print or ebook? Ebook. Most inspiring season? Fall. The place you most want to travel to? Italy. Best fantasy trope? The chosen one. <laughs> Favorite thing about being a writer? I make my own schedule. <laughs> Hardest thing about being a writer? I make my own schedule. <laughs> Your writing snack of choice? Coffee. The second one is a snack? Coffee. <laughs> I'll let you have it. <laughs> okay. And this might be the hardest question. It might be the easiest question. The Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted you to say Futurama and don't tell my husband. <laughs> Well, you know, he's right across from me working on the show. So I think I'll be a good loyal wife. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And just finally, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your books? You can visit my website, aliciaescobar.com, or you can find me on Amazon. Just type in my name, Alicia Escobar, and my author page and my books should pop up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Tune in next week when John will be interviewing new author Sam Frost. Don't forget, you can catch up on our entire backlist of episodes, plus get all of the backstage access, our Slack channel, and even one-to-one coaching from Dan by joining our Patreon from as little as $1 a month. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare. Until next time. The newest vacuum and mop robot from Ecovacs is DBot N8 Plus. It is an all-in-one vacuum with Osmo mopping system that allows for simultaneous vacuuming and mopping and eliminates 99.26% of bacteria on the floor. It cleans more effectively with true mapping technology so you get more coverage and do not miss a repeat spots. Buy DBot N8 Plus at Ecovacs.com now. For a limited time, get 10% discount using code ECOVACS10.